Welcome to the Am I Hunting Podcast. This episode, we'll be diving into land management strategies for mature bucks. All right, welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. Thank you again for listening. So yeah, so this episode, we will be talking uh, private land management for whitetails. And joining me on this episode is Mr. Ron Mallison, who he is actually Allie Smith's dad. Now, Allie had been on the podcast before on episode 19, where she had killed a really good opening buck uh, last year. And... And wouldn't you know it, again, this year, Allie has turned around and already killed another nice buck hunting the same property that she did last year. Now, Allie's a friend and co-worker of mine, so we talk hunting quite a bit whenever we're, you know, working the same shifts and whatnot. And, you know, been talking to her for, you know, about the property that she hunts, you know, how her dad goes about managing the property and figured it was about time to actually sit down and talk with him and pick his brain about what he does in regards to how he approaches his property to make a really good whitetail um, hunting ground. So yeah, so I sit down with him and like I said, I go over you know how he got started in doing land management for whitetail, what his approach is, what he prioritizes on what he needs to get done on the property, you know, how he lays that property out and then also the tactics that he puts forth on how he hunts hunts the property. So and as as I learned and talked to him um, pretty quickly is that he actually has had this property, you know, his entire adult life and he's been able to add on to it uh, throughout the years. You know, and, and as you'll hear from him, he's killed a lot of good sized bucks, but he's he's at that point now where he's trying to get that next you know echelon or you know that next level of buck. And we talk about what he's been doing to uh, try to get there or try to reach that goal and then learn li- some more extra things learn uh, more things about him that you know he really is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to whitetails in general you know about you know what they like food sources tendencies trends you know he actually spent time working on an actual deer farm um, so he's actually you know worked with deer um, in close proximity with them as they grow up and you know as he cared for them as well so he's got a lot of life experience handling deer watching them observing them seeing their behaviors and it's really great to be able to hear another person's uh, perspective on how they approach you know when it comes to their private you know chunk of ground and how they set it up for whitetails you know with that main goal of having you know a hunting property so he's got a ton of great information i learned a lot of a lot from him Uh, we had some good discussions about you know regulations and you know, what the state and what, you know, the area should do in regards to deer numbers and, you know, tag allocation and stuff like that. So we got into a wide range of discussion topics that, you know, really, when you think about it, are really interwoven all together. So all around a great discussion with a guy that absolutely loves whitetail, whitetail hunting. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Ron. You know, it's... I've started dabbling in the land management and you know, making improvements for deer and whatnot several years ago. Yep. And uh, I just want, like, always trying to learn a little bit more. And just from what the stories that she's told me about, you know, how you're, you got your property set up and, you know, the stories she's sharing with me, I've always been really interested in how you're, you know, how you manage your property for deer. Right, right. So 
I guess let's go ahead and go kind of like what you're telling me about, you know, growing up hunting, you know, how you kind of transitioned into, you know, managing property for deer and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I started hunting at a really young age um, and it's always been a great passion of mine. Whitetail has, you know, and I, at a young age, um, I actually purchased 35 acres where we live right here now. Um, I used to mow lawn for the little old lady that lived here. Used to take her, uh, actually after I got my driver's license, used to take her to town, get groceries. And my dad put a bug in my ear. Um, he says, you know what, why don't you ask Blanche if she'd sell you the property? And I thought, ah, she won't, she won't, she'll never sell. Well, long story short, I asked her, I go, Blanche, would you ever consider selling some of your property? And right away, she didn't even hesitate. She goes, yeah, I'd sell it to you. I haven't been back there in 30, 30 years. Well, ended up being 35 acres. There was a 40 acres here with her house. So I'll sell you 35 acres. And I was probably 16 years old at the time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that was my first initial uh, investment. Um, ended up getting the property, and I didn't even know it, but she actually put it in her will that I had first option at the house and the other five acres. So, I mean, it was always good hunting here ever since I was a little kid because I grew up just a mile south across the river. And, you know, it's a lot of farm country, but all the deer coming off the farm fields would always head north, cross the river, and they'd bed up here uh, on this side of the river. And like I, said, I can remember, you know, as a real young kid sitting behind my mom and dad's house, I would you know, catch all the deer coming off the farm fields and, you know, they, they're off early, you know, most of the deer are off the fields early down there. So I'd, I'd come up here, hike back, climbing my tree back here, you know, 45 minutes, hour later, deer would start funneling in up here to go bed. And, um, you know, I, I'd say I hunted this property for years, shot a lot of little bucks back then. Um, I'd say that for a while there, I believe you could, you could buy, uh, four tags. And I'd like say, I, I know some of them years I would shoot two little bucks. My first buck ever was a little busted up three or four point with the bow. And I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And, um, I ended up, uh, later that season, I shot a spike horn, you know, like I say, it was brand new to bow hunting and, yep. and, we ate venison, so I shot two little bucks that year. Well, over the past next couple of years of hunting, I pretty much kind of grew out of that and wanted to shoot something better. And, you know, like I say, over the years to where I'm at now, like I say, I haven't shot a buck in, holy cow, five, six years because I'm looking for the next level of, of caliber of bucks even more. You know, I've shot enough bucks that are 110, 115 inches. I think my biggest is maybe 130, a 10 point. Yeah. Um, and I just want something even more, but to back up to the, to the land story, I ended up getting the house, this, this, uh, 40 acres I'm on here and ended up buying another 28 acres from the neighbors to the South. So that put me at almost 70 acres and another 70 
like 70, 70 and a half acres came up for sale, stretching from mine all the way to the river. I ended up buying that and uh, started putting in, you know, bigger food plots um, and, you know, just trying to draw a better caliber of deer and, and, and keep them here. And, and it, it works for, for the most part. Um, you know, like I say, I, I've never shot nothing big, real big. And that's, that's what I'm really looking for is, is like I say, a 140 class, to 150 class deer, which around here, like I say, is pretty tough. They never seem to get the age. Um, but I figured, you know what, if I shoot them, I know they ain't going to make it. So that's why the past three, four years, all I've shot is a doe. Yeah. One year I didn't shoot nothing because uh, there were enough crop damage permits that the farmers had that I got probably two does from them and put them in the freezer. Yeah, nice. Yeah, because that's certainly one thing that I've, you know, the same thing where you, the idea of that, if you shoot him now, you know exactly how old he's going to be or how big he's going to be. Right. If you at least give him that next year to maybe survive, yep. then, you, you know, there's that potential with it. So now when you first started putting in food plots, did you, you know, how much thought process did you put in exactly where you're going to put them and, you know, the size wise? Well, from hunting here my whole life, I knew where a lot of deer traveled, a lot, you know, where they bedded. Um, and I started clearing there was a little opening out at the back of the property and I knew it was a hot zone for the deer traveling in and rutting. So I put a, put a small food plot back there, um, cleared, cleared some trees and, you know, disked it up. And at, at first all I would put in is, is some rye or winter wheat. Um, but I didn't, you know, know a whole lot about it. Sure. And, you know, throughout the years, I actually, I started mixing my own, seed blend in um when i acquired the other 70 acres back there i put a food plot in it's it's almost four acres and i would plant uh, it was it was quite a mixture i would plant buckwheat soybean oats uh rape purple top turnips um and uh i'm trying to think what else there, there it, it was mainly that blend but what what that did is you know, they'd come up right away, the deer in the, you know, June, July, end of June, early July, they're eating all the buckwheat, eating all the soybean. And, uh, did I mention oats? Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, well, they didn't touch the oats hardly at all. Oh, and I put grain sorghum. Okay. With that yep. grain sorghum. Well, what that did is it gave them food from the time I planted it almost up until all the way in the rifle season. They would, they would come in and they would eat the tender soybean yep. and buckwheat right away. That was the first to go. And like I say, they never really hardly touched the oats at all. Well, the oats would grow up beautiful. They had head out and towards, you know, when, when they would get hard, you know, September, October, early October, they'd eat the heck out of the hard oats. Yep. And, you know, at, at that time, the grain sorghum you know it stays fairly short they'd have the big seeded head well then you're into end of october november then they're munching the heck out of that grain sorghum yep and you know and that kept them off of the purple top turnips and and some of the rape well grain sorghum's gone well now they're out there you know november 
in later rifle season, they're digging up purple top turnips yep. and eating them and finishing off the grain sorghum. Yep. So it, it carried them deer and kept them there with a food source all the way from, you know, end of June. Cause I usually plant it like mid June. Okay. First week, first week of June to second week, it would carry them deer all the way into rifle season. So, you know, if a decent buck would come in there, it would usually stay cause it had a food source and there were a lot of does there. So, okay that's you know that's one of the the food plots i did and i will say though um it is pricey so i kind of switch gears a little bit um anymore i will plant you know my plots with pretty much rye um for a protector and i will buy uh clover and alfalfa okay and and mix in some some chicory with it um so it lasts a few years gotcha okay so you're transitioning more to a, a more of a perennial food plot than annual correct okay correct. It, it just got so so time consuming and pricey now with fertilizers and seeds and i mean you go buy any of that seed you know it's it's fairly costly but i know with the uh the clover and alfalfa you go buy a 50 pound bag at the co-op of that and you're looking at it the like ladino clover is i think it's two 200 bag or two 225 235 dollars a bag and that's for what probably like a 50 pound bag then or something for, yeah yep and and you look at the uh the alfalfa that's i want to say 180 a bag so it, it gets pricey and and if the plot ain't big enough it isn't going to withstand it yeah and I, I put almost 10 acres in right by my house here and the deer pretty much killed it, you know, in, in one year. And that was, that was alfalfa and clover. And so you had 10 acres and they still over browse and yes. ate it down the dirt, huh? Yes. And that's, that's because this area is kind of mismanaged for its doe population. Okay. Everyone like say for years was so dead set against shooting does well to get a big buck you gotta manage your herd and if there's 20 does to every buck that's not good yeah i was gonna i was gonna talk to you about that because you know like like i said ali shows me all the pictures i'm like it's like how are there so many bucks that you guys are getting and you know i've, I've never really talked about with her about what the doe population is for the property and whatnot but is every time she's like, yeah, three, four bucks. And she, even when she goes out hunting, she's like, yeah, I saw, I saw a few bucks that were, you know, potential and whatnot. And my cousin, same thing. When he started hunting on his property and started putting in food plots and started running trail cameras, you know, he even told me the one day, he's like, yeah, it's like, we got a problem. I'm like, what? What's the problem? He's like, we, all we're getting is pictures and bucks. We're not getting any does on our trail cameras. And I'm like, well, that's a good thing, man. Like, you're getting these bucks. Like, they're clearly living on your property. Like, that's a good thing. Right. Like if you got a few does, like they'll, they might, they'll take off during the rut probably, but they were going to do that anyway. So yep. it's like the fact that you got bucks living on your property and cruising around during daylight, like that's a good thing for you, man. Yep. Yep. So, and on the property I hunt, I mean, we've, we've always had too many does. You know, I take a couple does every year, but it seems like they're just still there. And we've got, you know, several young bucks, always year and a half or whatnot, right. but it seems like the big guys just aren't staying on the property. Yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard to keep them there. Um, 
any bit of pressure that they get, they're they're gone. You know, you you might get away with spooking a big buck once, but I doubt if you'll get away with spooking them twice. Um, like right now, a lot of my deer have left. Um, I pulled trail cam pictures the other night and um, overrun with coyotes. Yeah, you were showing me that. Yeah. Yeah, there's one picture. There's four, four or five coyotes in one picture. So I actually went and set some traps yesterday, and and they're they're smart. They're hard hard to catch. Yeah. But I mean, I used to trap quite a few years ago, and I think my best year I ended up with, I did end up with close to 25 or 26 coyotes. Really? Yes. Yep. But that's been probably 15, 18 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And not many people are trapping anymore because fur prices are way down. And yep. I mean, it is fun, but it's it's a commitment that you got to be out there every day checking traps, resetting. Yep. I mean, you set them traps, you got to be conscientious about the animal that's in them. Yep. So it's, it's a major commitment and... I don't have the time right now to do it, and it, but it is fun. But I'm I'm doing it now just to try and you know get a couple just to keep them in check back here because they're the one night. I mean, it was solid pictures all night. Yeah, jeez, yeah, you know, So getting, I guess back we'll backtrack a little bit back to the food plots now. You know, are you how much thought process are you putting in to be able to access you know get into those food plots and be able to hunt in different conditions or wind sets? Well, my big plot that I got out back is, like say, it's probably close to four acres. I can get in a blind um, without the deer even seeing me. Um, I can get in and out of it. Like say, it's a pretty good field. There's a nice uh, ridge that comes up to it. And, uh, I mean, one of the bucks that Allie shot the one year, I was actually out there sitting. And I called her. I go, hey, there's a nice buck on the field. Well, I'm not going to shoot it. Well, she was at work. She left work, got all the way home, ran all the way out there, got in the blind without spooking the deer. Actually, just as she climbed in the blind, the deer actually went off the field, went up over the hill, was gone. And it, it's getting getting a little late now. Well, it ended up coming back out to the field. And I actually videotaped her shoot. <laughs> nice. You know, Very good. Yep. You know, Okay. So, yeah. So, cause that's another thing that I've put a lot more thought process into, you know, especially hunt more on, on public lands type stuff where I'm right. a lot more conscientious of where I'm coming in from. Yep. But then it really plays into on the farm that I hunt because, you know, you're hunting usually kind of the same spots and more, you know, set, set blinds or set stands that you're going to hunt multiple times. Right. So you don't want to go in there and basically announce your presence to all the deer. Um, I think that that's a big thing, especially when you're hunting the same deer multiple times that it won't take them very long to start. They pattern you faster than you can pattern them. Yeah. There's, there's one thing you're never going to beat on a deer is is its nose. Yep. (laughs) You know, I, I'd still do actually shower before I go out. I hang my clothes outside. Um, but it's, it's tough to beat their nose. Yep. Play the wind. I mean, that's the best, best. And then even at that, it always is swirling. Yep. So they say there's, there's some luck involved with that too. Yep. Yeah. I know that's, yeah. You, if you read any literature on it, you're not going to beat their nose. Like I know Ozonics and whatnot, some of those other products, um, you know, it, it kills the bacteria that causes your scent and whatnot. So, but it won't get all of it. So it's not a guarantee. Right. 
like you said, the wind can swirl. I've ran into several situations, not really realizing sitting like a field edge or something like that and have the wind to my face and deer still win you because that wind's bouncing off those trees that are, you know, coming at you and they will catch a bit of it and they will catch you. So yeah, same thing. I do the shower routine, spray down. Cause yeah, I know I'm not going to beat their nose, but if I can make them pause or take one extra step, it's worth it for me. Then. Right. Right. Um, what else helps is the enclosed tent lines actually help. Yeah. Um, some it's like, say it's not a, nothing's a guarantee with the deer's nose, but just like I say, I used to, I used to think, well, if I get really high, that's going to help me too. But that isn't good either because when you get, 20 plus foot in the air unless it's with a gun then you know i recommend it but your kill shot with the bow and arrow shrinks when you got a 45 to you know plus angle that you're shooting at so sure so i don't like say i I actually stay lower than than i ever have anymore yeah do you ever uh pay attention or focus on on like the like thermals so like hunting low during the evening or hit up high during the morning where the scent will get pulled away right oh yeah yeah i've like i've I've tried just about every anything and everything um you know to, to beat their nose uh the the problem i i had too though is when you're limited on time to hunt you want to hunt i would I would mainly set my stands up for a north wind, a south wind, or a west wind. You know, very, very rarely you'll get an east, although they seem more prevalent now. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. But it was always set up for a north and a south wind. Um, like, say, growing up younger, hunting down behind my parents, you know, early season, it's always usually a south wind. Um, so I could go back, you know, out there, and it was it was actually easier out there and on, on my big field out back here in my big food plot you know if you're on a south wind it's coming across that field yeah they're going to catch you when they get by you um but you know not very often did they did i have them win me back there coming off them fields on a south wind because it carries it pretty quick and you know it's usually same thing like you said if it's if it's a depend on morning or evening you're sitting it's you know a lot of times your scent's going to be going up so, like say the open the open fields, you know, when you're hunting a tree line, you're usually I never got busted until like say they would get in and start walking around behind you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then also too with like the property setup, now are you doing any type of like timber work or anything like that to try to encourage like new regenerate growth or build build bedding areas for deer? Yes, actually, <laughs> you talk about that. I had the foresters out here this summer to. uh to uh, thin thin my trees out and there's one section of uh, red pine and there's some jack pine mixed in that i'm gonna have cleared to replant so there's a real thick bedding habitat um i'll, I'll probably take all the popple out you know to have a little regrowth there sure yep um but you know going back to the deer population the trouble with that is like say the doe doe population is a little out of check and they're they will kill a lot of the browse. Yeah. So that's another, um, you know, but the, the best time I would say for that is, is to cut probably in the winter, like I'm going to try. So it has a better chance with all the fresh growth coming on in the spring, 
you know, and all the green fields starting that they'll focus more on that instead of the little browse in the wintertime. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's again, you know, with my pot too, I'm noticing like I planted three acres this year, which was a little bit less than I did last year, but there was also corn planted across the road last year. And, you know, it did great. I had giant, you know, turnip bulbs. It lasted all the way through winter. Even in the spring, once the snow melt, there's still some bulbs left that they cleaned up during the spring. This year, it was looking really good about uh, like the last week of September. Had like eight inch plants. They were looking really good. Came back three weeks later and it's ankle high at best. Yeah. It has mowed it down. And it's just, you know, again, probably helped help that last year there was some egg, egg nearby that took some of their attention. But it's just, you know, I, I had to go back through and plant about 100 acres or 100 pounds of rye per acre just hoping that some more green could come up. That way they don't eat it down to absolutely nothing. Yeah, and that, that's going back to the whole issue of our our old population. Um, like, say, I know Mason County, um, it's it's out of check. I I would love to see, and I know it'll never fly, but shoot a doe, check a doe before you get your buck tag sort of thing yeah <laughs> and i want to see one one buck tag too shoot your buck you're done you know and if that's a spike horn and you're happy with it so be it shoot your deer and and that's it i don't see the need for two buck tags when we're overpopulated with does and you can't eat the horns yeah i say for probably six maybe even seven years now that's all i've shot was a doe yeah yeah i've thought about that too about the um, one buck tag. I think I think a growing number of people that are really into deer hunting for the state. Um, more and more people are on board with that idea because a lot of a lot of the hunters are still are wanting to see, you know, older older age class bucks, more bucks, um, and they understand that you know limiting the number of buck tags will help with that. With the earn a buck, I'm I'm kind of against it because yeah. you know. It's great if you're in an area that has lots of deer, but if you're right. in a in a county or a section of woods that doesn't have, yeah, you're, you're gonna force yourself to shoot a doe just so you can get your opportunity yeah. at buck. Yeah. So, I do like the one buck idea. I think I think a lot more people could get on board with that. Yeah, I, I would really like to see that. I'd like to see one one buck tag, and you know, because I was going out to Nebraska for probably four or five years. I went out there hunting, and when you buy your tag out there, they automatically give you a doe tag. Okay. And they encourage you to shoot them. And I mean, that one year, yeah, we brought, um, we brought like three does and one buck back. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the farmers out there, they want you to shoot them. So, you know what? I got a guy nice enough to let me hunt his 600 acres for nothing. Uh, you know, I'm going to tease him and if he wants me to shoot a doe, I'll shoot a doe. Yeah. And, and they're good eat. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's, it'll be interesting to see what they do in, in the upcoming years. I know they've, you know, last year they implemented the universal doe tag, uh, which I like because I hunt in multiple different counties, so I didn't have to, you know, watch where I was on the county line. Right. That that was a good idea on their part. Um, I mean, why should you have to buy another tag if if you can shoot a doe with that one? I mean, they still sell doe tags. Yep. I think, I don't know if it's here in Mason County, I think you can maybe buy 10 of them i think for most of the state it's you can get up to 10 that they offered up to i think there's some areas where they limit to like i think five even right and that's that's where this deer check this year that they're the mandatory check-in i i think they're gonna see that they're 
are probably more deer harvested. But if you look at the early numbers that they've checked in already, it's to me it's a little out of whack because it's the same thing. It's there's I, I forget what the numbers were right now, but there was way more doe or buck shot than there were does. Yeah. Um, so that's like I, I would like to see. Speaking of Mason County, I would like to see the doe population a little more in check. Yep. Um, it's don't get me wrong. I I love seeing the deer. Um, they're wonderful to watch. Um, but just like say, just the browse and what they do to the farm fields and the trees and yep. it's. I'm just afraid one of these years they might get some sort of disease. But yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, and that's the issue too, is like, you know, out west and whatnot, the deer population isn't, is a fraction of what we have here between like, you know, us in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Illinois is still really high, Indiana is still a really high population. Yeah, it's just the sheer number of deer compared to like out west where they might have, you know, I'm just, the only one I'm remembering right now is like mule deer. They have like 50,000 mule deer. Um, I think that's in like South Dakota, I think it is. And we've got almost 2 million whitetail in our state. Right. So the, the definitely the sheer numbers and yeah. And then, like you said, as I've gotten better being a little bit better woodsman, you know, you can walk through the woods and just see like, yep, there's a concentration because all the little saplings are all nipped off. You can see that, you know, yeah, all the other, or the pines, you can look uh, through it and yep. see that all the branches, you know, you know, waist high or, you know, mid chest high are all bare. You, right. you know, they've been going through. One of the, the old neighbors that used to live next door to me here, he always told me, if you see a deer eating on the red pine, they're starving. Yeah. They all eat cedar. I don't know how many times we would have a bad winter. I'd actually go and knock cedars down. Yep. I would take the chance out there. I would drop a tree, and it was no sooner than I dropped that one, cutting another one down there, deer eating on that cedar tree. Especially the white cedar. Yeah, I actually... Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if it was last year, year before. I was sitting in my blind over the food plot. This little forkhorn comes out, starts getting in the food plot, comes over and starts nibbling on the on the cedar branches. I knocked off the cedar that I was in, and he sat there for forty minutes, gnawing on the fresh cedar that was yep. in reach. They love like, it. I was like, "What are you doing? There's a beautiful food plot out there, and you come in here to chew on cedar." Yep, and that's that's like sometimes you're sitting out there watching them. There'll be a dead, dried up oak leaf. They'll grab that oak leaf. Chew. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or, or they're standing in the weeds, eating weeds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree that I'm, I'm usually in favor of, you know, cutting down dope up. And so for like, for your property, you know, what is your idea or what, you know, if you had, you know, the opportunity to set, what would your dough to buck ratio kind of look like? I would like to see it like some of your, your, you know, Southern States, like, like Illinois, when you're, one doe comes in heat, you got six bucks chasing it. Sure, yeah. Um, the way it is around here, our rut is, it's kind of a lull because there's 10 does for every buck that's out there. Yeah. So you never see, I mean, I see rubs, I see scrapes, they're, you know, they're always hit, but you never see what you see when you go out west of, you know, sometimes there's five, six bucks hot after one doe. Sure, yeah. yeah. So, so our rut activity, I mean, yeah, it, you see some, but there's really not much of a rut that I see with, with this doe population we have, like I say, cause the buck, the buck doesn't have to go, but 
10 steps and he finds another hot doe. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I always think about too is like, yeah, you know, if you got so many does, you know, granted that, you know, the timing of when they're in heat or whatnot can always vary, but yeah, more than likely that buck is he'll, he'll get done tending that doe. Like you said, in, in a short order, find another one that's ready to go and start tending her and be locked down basically all rut because all they're doing is going from one doe to one doe. Correct. Yep. Yep. Like say there's, there's sometimes they'll, they'll lock down with some does, you know, a couple days, two, three days. And yep. so you're, you're not going to see them. Like saying, if he, he gets done with that, knowing there's another one right in, you know, right there, that's hot. He's right, right with that one. And so that's, that's why I, I would say our, our rut activity, like, so you will still see something chasing that and running. And, um, but usually it's the, it's going to be the smaller bucks because the bigger bucks going to, going to chase the little ones out and, and be locked down. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You get all those satellite bucks that are jump running around and acting crazy. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So, and then now, trying to i know we've been jumping around a little bit so i kind of lost track where we're going but um so you're so you're looking at you know doing some logging this year to be able to um you yeah. know increase the the habitat a little bit so are you are you making sure that you're trying to be strategic about it or are you just harvesting the, the trees that need to be done no no i'm gonna do it kind of strategically um the spot that i want cleared is right up off my big plot okay i want that cleared to replant like say there's it was i think it was already thinned twice maybe um so i'm going to take out the remaining big red pine take out all the scrubby jack pine and i'll probably replant it with like say some red pine um actually i'm gonna fence and spot in some apple trees okay i did that out out back i put like five or six apple trees around the edge of my food plot and out front yep um but that same thing it's it's tough. You got to fence them because the deer will kill them the first winter they're planted. If they're not fenced, they'll, they'll be gone. Yep. Yep. And this year I actually had, had a bunch of apples on my trees out there all fenced. And I got a trail cam picture of two porcupines going up the post oh, no. and they pruned the heck out of my apple trees back there. Oh no. I actually caught one in a bucket. Oh really? Yes. I took one of the small ones that was in the apple tree at the time. I, shook them off into a bucket <laughs> took them and let them go a mile away just to get them out of here yeah because they you know then they'll girdle the trees and oh yeah and then they're, and then they're dead yep so it's like say everything everything you do to improve it it's it's a struggle yeah that is amazing thing this year the soft mass the apple trees all the fruit trees are just loaded with yes, fruit they are. it's it's a record record crop from what i'm hearing for apples this year yeah yep so now do you have very many like mature apple trees that are ready to go that you're keying in on for? Um, the one out back here that the, the, uh, porcupine was in, that one's a, a pretty mature tree. You know? Okay. Um, the, the other one right next to it, it was actually planted at the same time, but it didn't take off quite a bit, but it still produces apples. Gotcha. Uh, but on the 60 acres across the river, there's probably, probably got, 20 to 30 apple trees down there um, that we pruned and I'll mow under. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And they were, they all had a, a bunch of apples this year too. Yeah. I mean, there was so many for a while that the deer weren't even eating them because there's they're just so many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. I mean, they're going all the way up because 
Mike who owns the property. He's got apple trees right in his front yard. And he's three year and a half old bucks. Ten steps off of his front front porch, they're in there eating apples, or yeah. they're they're actually going after the pears. Oh yeah, right in front of them. But but yeah, and then now, um, do you have any like hard mass, any acorns, there, chestnut, beech nut, anything like that? Actually, there are. There's some. There's some uh, beech. There's spotted uh, acorns back there, and even right now, it's tracked up under them. Yeah. And see that that's another thing I noticed. Even with all the farm fields that them deer are feeding on. When the acorns drop and the beech nut and stuff drop, them deer are gone. And, and the other actually really good food source that I have back here that there's a lot of are the choke cherries. Really? Okay. I love them choke cherries. All right. That's, see, that's that's another one of their first fall crops that when them start hitting around, they love them. Like say when the acorns start dropping, a lot of deer that are hanging out here, they go north even further to the bigger oaks. Sure. But they come back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing I, I wish I had on the farm is oaks. It's all popple, cedar. Um, we do have some black walnut. Yeah. Um, but this year didn't seem like they uh, produced anything. So we tried planting a few really little oaks, but I don't think they've made it. We planted some chestnut, um, but they're still, they got a long ways to go. They're knee high at best. So, right. but yeah, so yeah, that. Now, do you know it's more if it's more the red oak family or white oak? That white oak is their absolute favorite. Yeah, that's that's the deer's number one. Um, but mine are mainly black oak. They're a little smaller. Okay, little round, little smaller. Um, but they still like them. They eat them. I mean, as soon as they hit the ground, it's tracked up under it, and they they eat them. Yeah. Um, I do have a few spotty um, white oak, but they're not real big trees. They'll produce some, but not many. The bigger black oak is what mainly what I have spotted back here. Gotcha. Now, are those kind of like similar to the white oak then, where they'll, um, you know, hit them really hard when they first drop, or do they are they kind of more like the red oak, where they're kind of more sustained and will eat them throughout the season? No, they as soon as they're dropping, they're eating these. Okay. Yeah. I know there's, I know there's, there's many different varieties of oak, and some of them fall more so like kind of have the same properties as white, and right. some more have like the red. So. Yeah, because that's like, I've noticed the big difference, like those white oaks, they'll hit them as soon as they start dropping. Yes. Red oak, you can almost rely on them even in late season where they'll dig them out. And... Yeah, that's, that's a, I call it a sustaining oak tree because like yep. they, they, that's probably their least favorite. They will eat them. Yep. Um, but, I mean, and that's good. Let them eat what they really like first, and at least there's something that'll be left to pull them through winter. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess... Let's go ahead and jump off of the the habitat side and let's go about your strategy for going after the bucks. So you, I know that you're you were talking that you want to you know potentially get into that little bit higher, maybe not necessarily age class, but higher caliber buck. So what what are you thinking, or what's your mindset of being able to accomplish that? Well, they need a quiet space, because um, like I said before, uh, a good buck. Will not handle the pressure they don't they're they're almost like a recluse even believe it or not even um having an overpopulation of does can can hurt sure because they don't like all the activity unless it's rutting time and then then they're okay with it yeah but <laughs> up, up until then they they want a quiet quiet place sure and 
I don't hunt on the, I call it the 70 acre strip that goes towards the river. I never go down by the river. It's a great bedding area. It's a nice cedar, cedar swamp. Um, so I try and stay right out of there so they have a good bedding area and a quiet spot. That's why I planted my bigger plot up to the northern end of it to leave the cedar swamp and the river property quiet. Sure. Yep. You know, and the only time I would ever consider going in there is, you know, if we had to track a deer or I'd usually wait till after season because um, I'd put cameras down there just to see what was hanging out. Sure. I don't have any of the, the cell cameras down there. Um, that's going to be next. Yep. Next day, so you never have to go down there. You just, it's shot right to your phone. Yep. Um, but no, to, to hold a big buck, they got to have a quiet zone. And like I say, even, even with the 140 acres I got right here, it's truly not really enough. Um, like I, I was telling you earlier, I had a deer back here. I was getting on film, you know, all through summer, you know, he went hard horn, lost his, his velvet. And I think the last pics I got of him was, was right at the end of September. And that deer ended up getting shot almost three miles away as a crow flies. So, I mean, to say, yeah, you're going to have even 300 acres and you're going to keep that deer here. Probably not real likely, but, you know, some, some do. Yeah. Now, was this buck uh, a bit of a homebody beforehand where you had had him in years past or? I, I think it was one that I had through season last year. Um, I had like probably four four different decent bucks that made it through that I had on film. I had a, a beautiful three-year-old 10-point on film. After season, actually, I could have shot him many a times uh, with the rifle, and I thought, you know, he'd be a dandy next year. Had him back there all through and the rifle season till he shed his, shed his antlers, and I figured, you know, he'll be back, and not a one picture of him since. Oh, no. So... Who knows what happened to him then, huh? You know, and then you always hear a nice buck's getting hit on the road or this big deer got hit over here. That could be what happened. Um, but this deer here in particular, he was a, a taller time to eight point, nothing big. You know, same thing, probably your 110-inch deer, maybe 115-inch eight point. But he had a distinct brow tine that was kind of crooked. And a friend of mine actually sent me a picture this morning Asked if I recognize that deer. Okay. I'll be darned if, if it wasn't. That was him, huh? That, more than likely, More than likely, yes, yeah, sure. Because I have not had a picture of that deer, like, say, since the end of September. Yeah. So I would say, yeah. I mean, it was pretty distinct, crooked brow, and so. Do you run, are you, are you tracking very much about, you know, historical movements of bucks that you've gotten in years past, and, you know, if they show up a certain point of the year, or make certain moves throughout the year that you try to key on that the next year? Or is it a little bit more random than that, you think? It, it is actually pretty random. Last last year, there was a, a huge deer. I had a friend of mine sitting back here on the big field, and it was opening day, and a real nice caliber buck came out. Well, he was so shook up, he missed it. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, well... Never seen a deer, never had a picture of him. He actually skirted. I got four cameras out back on that field, and it was heading to the one when it came out, but he shot, and it 
you know, the deer took off straight south. Well, the neighbors right across the river seen a real nice buck late January, towards, might have been towards the end, middle end, with one antler. And they said it was big. Okay. So I'm thinking that was probably the same deer. Where he come from, who knows? Sure. I mean, like that deer that I had back here three miles away, they could be coming in three, four, five miles from any direction. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the reason I asked it, cause I've, in the years past, you know, I've gotten camera of one big buck that he, I missed, missed the opportunity a couple of years back where I chose not to sit cause I had some, my kids were homesick from school and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'll go the next day, pull the camera. Sure enough, he walked right by my blind <laughs> 25 yards away. The following year, I got pictures. I'm pretty sure it's the same buck, exact same day the following year. And he was there the whole day. He checked all the scrapes. He basically made his rounds. So I was, I'm, I'm hoping that he repeats the process again the third year, shows up around the same time frame, hopefully within the same day or two that I've got history with him before. Fingers crossed. I've, I've even asked the biologist about it. He's like, well, maybe he might, he might repeat himself, but it's, there's a lot of, of course, there's a lot of factors that play into it. If you'll, if you'll do the same thing, if he's still alive. So he's even curious to see what happens if he shows up again this year. The, the best advice I can give on that. And I used it myself for a lot of years, not as much anymore. Like I say, cause I don't hunt quite as hard as I used to be out there every day. Weather permitting, wind permitting, be in that stand every day because you never know what day he's going to walk through. Okay. That's that's the best advice I'd give to, to anyone. Yeah. You ain't going to get him on the couch. You ain't going to get him from the house. Yeah. So even if even if like you weren't getting any trail camera pictures of him being nearby, you would still you would still go out there and go after him, huh? Yeah. You know, like say for years, I'd, I'd make sure I was hunting every chance I could be out there. Yeah. So, okay. And that's like say that's. Because nobody knows. Yeah. They're eventually, well, like I say, two years even before this one, uh, big one was out here last year. I chose that. Heck, I'm going to work. Could have stayed home and hunted. Well, the neighbor shot a dandy eight point that year. It was all out of my big field, big plot back there for 45 minutes in front of all the cameras and walked out and pow, he got shot. Well, that was. Uh, it just reminded me of Allie's from last year because it was opening day and it was so hot that day. And she went out there just for some peace and quiet. Yep. And she picked her head up and there he was. So, yeah, it, it's same, like you said, it can happen. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to hedge my bets on when most, most likely he'll be there because, again. One of I, my other favorite times is actually, and I actually put in for a vacation day that day already, is right end of October, Halloween. Yeah. Yep. I shot one during bow season, I'm trying to think how many years ago it's been. It uh, it was a really wide deer, ended up having 11 points, and it took the Mason County Deer of the Year contest. Yeah. It wasn't, like I say, it wasn't a very pretty rack, but it was 21 and a half inch inside and had 11 points. Holy smokes. For that contest, they go by points and spread. So. Wow. It. it it took it that year, and that was the same thing. That was on Halloween. Yeah, I will say that buck did show up. It was Halloween night, and it was at night, but he, he did the same thing. He made his rounds to all the scrapes, yep. and he hit all of them. And then I didn't get another picture of him until November 7th. Wow. So I, 
Halloween time, I'm probably going to be in the woods too. Yep. Just in case he shows up. Yep. But then, yeah, I'm I'm hedging my bet on that, you know, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. Yeah, any any time from from end of October on is is usually good hunting. Yep. Like I say, I, I haven't really hunted yet this year. Um, I was out with just my glasses the night Allie shot hers, and I haven't been out there since. So... Like say, and I, I'm gauging more. Like say, on my cameras right now. Uh, if something were to show up, you could bet I'd be out there. Yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing's even piqued my interest this year. I'm, I'm hoping that big one that was missed back here last year will make a swing through. Sure. But yeah. I, I truly believe that deer got pushed in. Oh, okay. He got he got pushed in from somewhere, um, and you know that's why he ended up out on that field because with all the cameras i run i mean there for a while I, I would have 15 cameras going and you know usually try and pull cards once once a week or every other week and never had a picture of that deer. yeah this yeah either got pushed or you know and in the 10 point that uh, my buddy mark shot back here last year that deer there was a lot of trail cam pictures of him just like a half mile east Sure. And okay. He ended up back there too, but that's you know it's kind of a double-edged sword. I say about having too many does. You got a lot of does there. The bucks will be there. Yeah. Um. So that's I think that's what drew with all the does and stuff eating out there. It it draws the bucks in. Yeah. Yeah. The way I'm looking at it, especially because the the farm I'm hunting is 80 acres. The vast majority of it is open field. Um, we actually don't have that much cover on there. Um, I would say probably about 20 acres of actual cover out of that 80. So it's a lot of open field. So it, it, it seems like a lot of the does are betting on the property, but a lot of the bucks are betting on adjacent properties. So they're coming from a longer distance. So a lot of times, you know, at least trail camera wise, a lot of them are either at night uh, or, you know, right at the very last you know, bit of light potentially so i'm hoping that by maybe cutting down on some of the does it opens up some bedding areas on the property or at least maybe gives them a little more room to potentially start bedding on the property be a little bit closer to the the food plot and where i'm hunting so right yeah that i mean that would like say definitely help say bucks they don't they all number one in when the bucks are hard horned the does shy away until they're in heat and two, like say the bucks don't like the, the more mature bucks don't like all the activity and the commotion of the does and fawns run. Yeah. So it, it would, it would help. Uh, like say, and then if, if you only got 20 acres, that's really kind of touchy too, trying to get into hunt without blowing everything out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's usually, I'm just heading hunt just on the edges of that cover, yep. just inside the wood line, just, yep. just that's inside the, yeah. You know, so yeah that's what you got to do because i you know i get a kick out of that too a lot of people they have a chunk of property instead of hunting the outer edge they drive right through the middle of it to get to their backline fence well what's that do it pushes everything right out of there yeah and if everything does that them deer are going to end up who knows where yeah yeah and I, i've been working on that too like i actually got permission from adjacent landowner to we use his property to get to one of my blinds on the back side of the property. So I'm not walking through the property, um, announcing my presence again or 
yeah. you know, I'm sure they're they're used to quite a bit of me being down there because I'm down there working or checking trail cameras or something like that. But especially like you said, those older bucks, they're not going to tolerate that presence like the the doe groups or yeah. young bucks. Like saying you talk about that, that the does around my house here, I can get on my my quad or my side by side, and I I'll drive them deer ain't 15 feet from me they just stand there and just watch me go right by but a, a buck he's like see they're they're a little different they don't tolerate it you yeah. can anywhere like see even sometimes i'd see one even midday going back to pull film off the field or something and i always make sure it's like 12 one o'clock right in the middle of the day and if by chance there's a buck out there on that field well you barely get on there and they're hightailing it <laughs> or yeah. the dogs, you drive out there and they'll stand there and watch you drive up to a camera pull it and won't even leave yeah that is the funny thing about like because i went out west for my first time last year and you can pull up big old buck stand on the side road you can stop look at him take pictures he just stands there don't care and it, like here in michigan a buck would never tolerate that he would be gone you know like say you talk about that my experience is out out in nebraska um, i seen some giant deer out there never got to connect on one because the first three times i want to say it was i was out there with a muzzle loader and um, i seen one the one year i'm sure it was in the the one of the i don't know if it was deer deer hunting magazine because it came from the same county i was in and all i could do was watch this thing from four five hundred yards away with glasses with a muzzle loader it was just a huge massive non-typical Okay. And I seen one in in the magazine. It was like the next year or whatever said it came out of out of the county I was in and um, cuz I would first year actually every year out there I was staying down by Beatrice or Pawnee City hunting the southeast part of Nebraska. Okay. And there I'd say just seen some giants out there. Yeah. Yeah, I know. When I went out there, I mean, we saw some pretty good deer. Um I got a decent one. He's a nice 2-year-old. Had a messed up side, unfortunately, but, uh, and then we just drove around. And I was just like, of course, that's when like we saw the really big guys, yeah, and just it they were just monsters. I mean, I saw more mature deer in the four days I was there than I probably have my entire life here in Michigan. Right, and they're just. Well, well, actually, can you go back to that? All my years of running cameras, and a lot of them, I would say probably the biggest deer i've ever got on camera here it was it was probably maybe a mid to upper 130s class deer yeah that's the biggest i have ever got on film here yeah it's really interesting yeah because i i i've been all the bucks have been taken um off the farm i've been scoring them and aging them and stuff like that and it is interesting seeing like yeah this is a mature deer and he's 100 inch deer yep and it's like if you go further south or you know, even Southern Michigan, even where they got a lot more of those ag fields. I mean, you just see tons, much larger caliber deer for their age class. So it's definitely, you can tell that there's a difference where you're at in the state of their nutrition, really. Right. And I, I hate to say it too, though. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of it is, is genetics too. Okay. Um, I, I got, took, took a picture of a couple of deer that were on my camera, out on my big field the other day and this this deer is it's really big bodied and i don't know if it's only a four point or if it's got brows i couldn't quite tell 
but light spindly forks and i mean you look at the deer his brisket's got a big bulge and it's it's just he's definitely older than two and just no antlers okay so um i i say i know genetics plays a lot to do with it my neighbor used to raise deer here too and i took care of them for a lot of years okay so i got to study them and watch them grow and see their age differences and and you know you can't always go by body size either because deer are no different than people you you you'll have one that could grow up to be 300 pounds and the next one he might only be you know 180 pounds um you know some of the deer that jack had in his pen i mean they were up to seven years old and that one deer i think his live weight was 180 pounds okay and he had another one that was right in the same age class it went a little over 300 wow so that much of a comparison though huh yes and that's why i say deer deer they're no different um some some are going to be really big bodied and uh some are are not and i i really think the genetics in their antlers um because you'll see some button bucks they got huge big puffy buttons on their head the next one you can't uh you can't even tell it's a button buck so i think there's a lot of a lot of genetics involved with that too no i, I do not believe in the if, once it's a spike horn it's always going to be a spike horn i do not believe that one bit sure i've seen that proved wrong countless times yeah right right in the pen um it might have been a later deer a later fawn uh not good nutrition and he didn't have anything that year yeah yeah well you know what i think it's probably a good time to wrap up because i know that you're thinking about going hunting tonight and i know that we're looking time wise to getting pretty close to when you might want to start getting yourself together so we've been talking for a good hour so i think it's a good time to wrap it up and let you have the rest of your evening so all right sounds good but again thank you for so much for coming on and talking i mean i've had this in the back of my mind of talking to you for at least probably at least a good year of wanting to meet you and talk about your property and everything like that. Cause you know, working with Allie, she always tells me all the stories and I'm always very intrigued about what you're doing here. So thank you for taking the time for that. You're welcome. All right. Thanks. All right. So that's it for the conversation with Ron. Ron, thank you again for coming on to the show. I had an absolute blast of talking with you, uh, learning from you. You know, great talking hunting stories, even after we're done recording, uh, you know, and seeing you, seeing all the bucks that you guys have taken over the years. Again, I had such a great time and look forward to talk to you again in the future. So, yeah, so that's it for this episode. You know, again, we are right on the cusp of the rut. I mean, we are at the last week of October right now things are ramping up we got some warm temperatures right now but that next cold front should be a doozy you know and i'm already seeing quite a bit of stuff on social media (coughs) where a lot of people are putting a lot of deer down right now already so all things are looking up to only get better uh, in the next coming weeks get out there enjoy this time of year best luck to you and again as always get out there be safe and have fun